Well, you did a great job with the names. Apologies for giving you that passage. We're going to have a look at uh, that part of Jeremiah this morning, uh, chapters 34 through to 38. Do keep your Bibles open there if you have them with you. And uh, as we look at that and other parts of God's Word, also the passages will be on the screen for you um, as we prepare to look at God's Word. Let's pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word, uh, the Bible, you teach us uh, about yourself, you teach us about ourselves, and you teach us how we are to live as your people. Help us to learn and grow uh, as we uh, read your word this morning. Uh, Help us to listen to your word and uh, to obey it. We ask this, Lord, for your glory, and in Jesus' name, amen. In high school, I wrote a book report on the William Tyndale biography, God's Outlaw. I was kind of becoming interested in biographies at the time. Truth is stranger than fiction, as we all know. And I found the story of William Tyndale really quite intriguing and exciting. Uh, Tyndale was an early English reformer in the days of King Henry VIII, a time when uh, smuggling a Bible into England could see you burned at the stake a Bible in the English language, that is. <laughs> uh, this is what the blurb on the, the back of uh, the, the book God's Outlaw says. When William Tyndale set out to provide the first printed New Testament in English, he was forced to do so in defiance of the king, pope, and almost every person in authority. Compelled to flee from his homeland, he continued with his work of translating the scriptures whilst slipping from city to city in Germany, Holland, and Belgium in an attempt to avoid the agents who were sent from England to arrest him. His story is one of poverty, danger and ceaseless labour. This fugitive and outlaw gave the English-speaking people their most precious, uh, priceless heritage, the scriptures in their mother tongue. Uh, Tyndale's New Testament was the first to be translated directly from the Greek into English. Copies were smuggled from continental Europe into England and Scotland, by uh, slipping pages of the Bible in between pages of other books. The translation was condemned in 1526 by church authorities who issued warnings to booksellers. They bought up all the available copies and had them burned in public. Uh, Tyndale was condemned as a heretic, trialed, imprisoned and sentenced to death. He was strangled and then burned at the stake in October 1536. Tyndale was an outlaw and a criminal simply for believing that people should be able to read the Bible in their own language and for working to make that happen. Of course, Tyndale's story is just one of many throughout history, many stories of attempts to prevent the word of God being read or preached through uh, the destruction of the printed material itself or the persecution of those who champion it. But although Tyndale's Bibles were burned and Tyndale himself eventually was captured and executed, ironically, uh, the Word of God soon after became authorised, widely produced in English, and continues to be the most commonly printed and purchased book in history. God's Word cannot be silenced. Uh, Sadly, as we see throughout the book of Jeremiah, that's exactly what uh, the kings of Judah and the people of Judah are trying to do, and we see that very clearly in chapters 34 to 38 of Jeremiah. 
Uh, it's not a surprise uh, to us, <laughs> um, sadly. Um, uh, after a truly joyful and, and sort of hope-filled interlude last week in chapters 30 to 33, we, we crash down to earth again here because of all of God's wonderful plans, the, 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 the hope that we see in the, the, these previous four chapters, the, all of these things that God's promising his people in the future. Uh, the judgment for Judah's sin must come to them for their uh, ignoring of him. Uh, this is what God has been telling the people all through the book, through his prophet Jeremiah, as, as they continue to reject his calls to repent. Uh, the people of Judah are well practiced at ignoring God's word. Uh, remember, uh, we've already seen that in the Hebrew language, uh, listening to God means obeying God. The same Hebrew word has both meanings. And in chapter 34, we get a glimpse here of Judah, perhaps in a way seeming to listen to O God, making some effort to obey um, as they have a covenant put to them by King Zedekiah, a covenant to free their slaves. Have a look at chapter 34, verse 10. So all the officials and people who entered into this covenant agreed that they would free their male and female slaves and no longer hold them in bondage. They agreed and set them free. Uh, Zedekiah puts this, this covenant, this agreement before the people and they all agree. Where, where the NIV says they agreed, it, it's the Hebrew word to listen or to obey. But the people actually only do one of those things, they listen, uh, but they, they, they don't obey because they, and, and therefore they don't truly listen. They, they release the slaves for a short time, but they soon take them back again. They too, soon, soon enslave them again, and chapters 34 to 35 highlight the degree of their disobedience. Uh, chapter 34, verses 15 to 17. This is what uh, God says to the people. Recently you repented and did what is right in my sight. Each of you proclaimed freedom to your own people. You even made a covenant before me in the house that bears my name. But now you have uh, turned around and profaned my name. Each of you has taken back the male and female slaves you had set free to go where they wished. You have forced them to become your slaves again. Therefore this is what the Lord says. You have not obeyed me. You have not proclaimed freedom to your own people. So I now proclaim freedom for you, declares the Lord, freedom to fall by the sword, plague and famine. I will make you abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth. Even when the people do decide to do something good and right, they repent of that, they change their mind uh, and they continue to refuse to repent of their sin, which is what God has been calling them to all along. Uh, they're simply disobedient people, uh, even in this, this just one of God's laws. So they'll suffer the consequences of that. Uh, they'll, they'll be given the freedom, as it says there, to receive God's judgment. Uh, chapter 35, as we keep reading, gives a strong contrast to the disobedient nature of the people of Judah. God has uh, Jeremiah in chapter 35 invite uh, a group of people called the Rechabites, uh, invite them uh, to uh, a meeting and, and, and to have a, a wine with him. The Rechabites 
These are an obscure group of nomads, historically connected to Israel, not born Israelites, um, and, and a group of people who hold to a very specific set of rules for living. Uh, have a look at chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. Then I set bowls full of wine and some cups before the Rechabites and said to them, Drink some wine. But they replied, We do not drink wine, because our forefather Jehonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command, Neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine. This obscure uh, group, who we read more about here than anywhere else in the Bible, they're obeying the commands of their forefather given 250 years ago. That's how long this particular group have been living in the land of Israel. Uh, it would be like if, if the first fleet brought a code of conduct over with it and we were still all living in by it today, can you imagine? Uh, in contrast, <laughs> the people of Judah can't obey the commands of God that are consistently put before them by the prophets. Uh, the lesson for Judah here is to listen and obey. Uh, have a look at chapter 35, verses 16 and 17. The descendants of Jehonadab, son of Rechab, have carried out the command their forefather gave them, but these people have not obeyed me. Therefore, this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring on Judah and on everyone living in Jerusalem every disaster I pronounced against them. I spoke to them, but they did not listen. I called to them, but they did not answer. The encounter highlights Judah's refusal to listen to God. Therefore, again, they will receive God's judgment. The people have consistently failed to obey God's word. They've heard it but not obeyed it. They don't really listen because they don't obey. And that's one way to silence the word of God. Uh, to listen but just ignore it, <laughs> put it aside. Uh, don't obey it. Of course, we know that God's word will be fulfilled regardless and the people's ignorance will result in punishment for them. In chapter 36, we take a step back in time to the reign of Jehoiakim. And here we see blatant, almost theatrical opposition to God's word. Uh, chapter 36 is also a great insight into how God's word comes into written form uh, as Jeremiah and Baruch put God's words into a scroll. Um, commentator Christopher Wright, he says this about the process. The whole Bible, like Baruch's scroll, was written by human beings in very particular circumstances, was written at God's initiative and instruction, contains words that must be read and interpreted as simultaneously human words and the word of God, was written in order to lead people to repentance, forgiveness and salvation, and was written for all to hear and heed uh, let's have a look at how this uh, works out as we read some parts of chapter 36 uh, chapter 36 verses 1 to 3 follow along with me there in the fourth year of Jehoiakim son of Josiah king of Judah this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel Judah and all the other nations, from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, they will each turn from their wicked ways. Then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. Again, we, we hear 
uh, see here that hearing and obeying go together. Why is God's word written down? So that the people might repent. The hope is, is, is that in hearing God's words, the warnings, the people will turn from their wickedness and that God will be able to forgive them. Now when this scroll is written and, and read uh, to the court officials, they certainly sense its power and its danger. They're afraid of what the king will think as he hears these words. Uh, we, we, we know from what we've read of Jeremiah so far, the, the words of judgment that are in this book. Uh, they tell Jeremiah and Baruch uh, to go and hide. Go hide somewhere that don't even tell us where you're hiding so that when the king asks, we can't give you away. And they were right to be worried because the king shows exactly how he feels about these words from God. Look again. This is a, the passage Michelle just read for us. Look again at what happens as one of his servants, one of the king's servants, reads the scroll to him. 36 verses 23 to 26. Uh, whenever Jehudai had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the firepot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Even though Elnathan, Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Instead, the king commanded uh, Jeremiel, the son, a son of the king, uh, Sariah, son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, son of Abdiel, to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet. But the Lord had hidden them. Jehoiakim is making a great show here of having the entire scroll read to him, hearing every word, but very actively not listening, not obeying. It's something like a pantomime as he cuts each part off. The, the scroll, as you unroll it, you get roughly four columns at a time, and each time it's read, off, off that section comes... And he throws each bit in the fire. His ignoring of God's word is so overemphasized. Um, but Jehoiakim's effort to destroy God's word, of course, fails. This little act of defiance didn't put a, a dent in the production of the Bible. Here we are reading today just exactly what Jehoiakim did at the time. God's word can't be destroyed by... Mere fire, uh, Tyndale's English Bibles were collected up and burned, but God's word survives and is produced as and when God determines. No one has ever destroyed ideas simply by burning a book. God simply commands Jeremiah to write another scroll, and he has a message specifically for Jehoiakim here. Uh, chapter 36, verses 30 to 32. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. So Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe Baruch, son of Neriah. And as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it, all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added to them. 
God's word continues to be produced and written down at God's command and the the punishment of Jehoiakim would be severe. Uh, One quote sums it up well. The fire that consumed the scroll would be nothing compared to the fire that would consume Jerusalem. Now, of course, we'll see uh, that kind of opposition to the Bible today as well. It certainly hasn't died out. Those who actively want to ignore or sideline or even destroy God's word. Uh, Bibles are still burned in countries all over the world. And the Bible is, you might say, metaphorically burned, even in civilized countries like Australia, where although we have a great heritage of gospel proclamation, the truths of the Bible are summarily ignored in ways that mock God's words. How do we respond to this as Christians? Well, we, for, for one thing, we don't have to fear in the face of those who openly oppose the gospel, who openly oppose the Bible. God always has and always will speak his word, and his word will both bless and condemn people depending on their response. God's word will always accomplish exactly what he wants it to accomplish. Uh, Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word cannot be silenced. And like Jeremiah, in the face of opposition, well, we should simply keep preaching God's word, keep obeying God's word. This is Paul's advice to Timothy as he describes his own hardships. It it doesn't seem to deter him at all as an apostle from preaching the gospel and doesn't deter him from encouraging Timothy to do the same. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, uh, Paul has just described the hardships he's faced as a preacher of the gospel. And then from verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word does its work uh, in in our lives. Uh, It's far too uh, powerful and important for us to let the detractors put us off. (laughs) Uh, Have a look at Paul's command to Timothy in the next chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 to 5. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. In Jeremiah's time, in Paul and Timothy's time, and in our time, there'll be people who simply want to hear what they want to hear, not what God is saying. Uh, 
There will be people who reject uh, the truth, but and as hard as it is sometimes to preach the word in those circumstances, well, God's word is simply uh, too important. We're, we're to preach God's word despite and in the face of strong opposition. Now, I find it hard to imagine that we will ever face, say, execution for translating the Bible in Australia. Uh, the suffering of people like William Tyndale uh, and Jeremiah, uh, that kind of suffering is foreign to us, but opposition to God's word isn't foreign to us. We understand the opposition that people have to the, even the good news of Jesus. But in the face even of powerful opposition, we should not be deterred. As we continue in Jeremiah, we see that the hindrance of God's word carries on after Jehoiakim. His disdain for God's word is just representative of the people of Judah and their kings from that point on and for much of their history before, of course. Chapter 37 brings us back to Jeremiah's dealing with Zedekiah. Chapter 37, verses 1 to 2. Zedekiah, son of Josiah, was made king of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He reigned in place of Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim. Neither he nor his attendants nor the people of the land paid any attention to the words the Lord had spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. They pay no, no attention. Uh, even though on the face of it, there does seem at least to be some interest. Uh, at one point, Zedekiah even asked Jeremiah to pray for them. Uh, Zedekiah is the king, uh, is the king of Jerusalem at the time. Jerusalem is finally destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar's armies. Um, and at one point, uh, he asked Jeremiah to pray, but he only wants the answer from God that he wants. <laughs> he has no intention of hearing and obeying uh, God's word. Uh, that we see at the same time that he's actually relying on the armies of Egypt to come and rescue them from Nebuchadnezzar. And God makes it clear that trusting Egypt won't help. Uh, chapter 37, verses 9 to 10, this is what the Lord says. Do not deceive yourselves, thinking the Babylonians will surely leave us. They will not. Even if you were to defeat the entire Babylonian army that is attacking you and only wounded men were left in their tents, they would come out and burn this city down. The Babylonian army does withdraw briefly from Jerusalem as Egypt approaches, but then Egypt retreats and Babylon comes back. As God says there, even a wounded remnant of Babylonian soldiers would defeat Jerusalem. Because remember, it's God himself who is fighting against his people. Uh, Jeremiah is imprisoned. Uh, he tries to leave the, the city at one point to, to look after some property issue and they, they think he's defecting to the Babylonians as he tries to leave. He's imprisoned and then treated a bit like a yo-yo as he goes between incarceration, various states of incarceration and audiences with King Zedekiah back and forth. Uh, chapter 38, verses 4 to 5. Follow along there. Then the officials said to the king, This man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city, as well as all the people, by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. He is in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. 
The king can do nothing to oppose you. Uh, Jeremiah uh, then is taken and dumped in a well. Uh, not a well with uh, water. This is a leaky cistern. <laughs> so he's not going to drown, um, but he could easily uh, get sick. If you're left there, he would starve to death. One commentator has a go at describing what Jeremiah must be thinking here. Uh, he says, had he come from the God-ordained womb to perish in this God-forsaken tomb? Had he praised God as a spring of living water only to end his life in a broken cistern? Thankfully, the answer is no. But remember, that's how Jeremiah described the people and their response to God back in chapter 2, 2 verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own system, broken systems that cannot hold water. And here's Jeremiah, servant of the God who is the spring of living water, trapped in a broken system. Uh, but Jeremiah is rescued by a servant uh, of the king as Zedekiah seeks his counsel again. And Jeremiah advises the king as he's done before. He says, surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, chapter 38, verse 20. They will not hand you over, Jeremiah replied. Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you. Then it will go well with you and your life will be spared. Listen and obey, Zedekiah. Uh, but Zedekiah flip-flops, he talks about it and finally does nothing. He's not obey. Uh, Zedekiah seems uh, more scared of a small group of uh, of rebel uh, Jewish uh, people than, than he is of Nebuchadnezzar and his army. Zedekiah puts Jeremiah under arrest in the palace courtyard, ignores God's word from the prophet. And the end result of all of this is determined. Chapter 38, verse 28. And Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard until the day Jerusalem was captured. Jerusalem will be captured. Jerusalem will fall. God's judgment will come. God's word cannot be silenced, no matter whether we actively oppose and destroy it like Jehoiakim, uh, or whether we arm and are until we've effectively ignored it by our inaction like Zedekiah. I wonder, perhaps, how do we sometimes uh, subtly disobey God's word like Zedekiah? Do we show interest uh, at times to, to seem keen, but actually we flip and flop around obeying God's word so that effectively we ignore it, disobey it. Uh, simply not reading the Bible is a very effective way to do this. Neglect breeds ignorance or even contempt. What about when we, we read the Bible, but actually we just fail to act on it? That's even worse, surely, knowing full well what the Bible says, but doing nothing about it. How often are we guilty of that? How many resources do we have at our disposal to, to learn and follow God's word, and yet we, we flip-flop and so often just do what we want instead? And we have no excuse either. We're not living in Henry VIII's England, where the Bible wasn't even available in our spoken language. The, and this is the problem for so many in Western society who have the Bible and a long Christian heritage to draw on, but they simply ignore it. And even Christians can do this when we put the Bible to one side in our lives. We know what God's Word says, and yet plenty of times we just 
do what we want instead. That's easier, that's more enjoyable, that's where temptation, our sinful heart takes us. But if we're God's people, he's given us a new heart. Uh, If we're God's people, our part is to listen and obey God's word. And we must encourage and teach and and preach the gospel so that non-Christians might do the same. Hear God's word and obey it. The Old Testament lessons are lessons for all of us. Hebrews 4, 1 to 2. Uh, Have a look at these two verses and see how the writer warns his readers, talking about Israel here before entering the land. Uh, But the principle applies. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. God's word is to be listened to and obey. The, the two words in Hebrew mean the same thing. It's the same word. A few verses further down, see how uh, the writer describes God's word. Hebrews four twelve to 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word cannot be silenced. It will achieve what God intends and it will lay bare the position of every person before God. The part of those who follow God and claim to be his people is to listen and obey to take hold of God's word and to live and grow by it every day, uh, sharing it with the world as we follow our King Jesus, who himself is God's word to us. On the Mount of Transfiguration, this is what the disciples heard. Mark chapter 9, verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. Uh, In Greek, it's the same as in Hebrew. The word to listen there also has that dual meaning, uh, to listen and to obey. To listen to God is to listen to his son and to obey his son. To follow him and to do as he says and to live as he commands. Don't silence God's word in your life. Don't try to silence God's word in your life. Don't let those who oppose God's word silence you. Uh, Instead, listen to God. Listen to his son, Jesus, and obey him with all your heart. Uh, Let's ask God to help us to do that. Please, please pray with me. Dear God, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us, you have given us, your word you have taught us uh, all we need to know about who you are about who we are and about how we ought to live as your people help us to be people who listen and obey help us to be people who uh, wholeheartedly follow uh, the truth that is in your word follow your instructions follow 
the principles that you give us for life. Uh, help us to be people who listen uh, to your Son, Jesus, follow and obey him. Might your word be the thing which uh, guides uh, all of our lives. And might we demonstrate this uh, you know, in the world where your, your word is so easily ignored or opposed. Help us to be bold in uh, sharing the good news, in, in uh, preaching the gospel in the face of that kind of opposition. And let us be people who uh, personally, day by day, uh, read and hear and obey all that you have to say to us in your word. As we do this, might you be glorified and might we grow as, as your people, as followers of Jesus. Help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.